we still care about getting yeah. to see him and yeah. how good that will be and enjoy the come to our hearts when we do see stuff like that. So. Do you actually believe that someday you're going to see the king? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Someday we're going to get to be with him. We're going to get to spend time with him. We're going to get to enjoy his presence. And I think that's an amazing thing. I think it's an awesome thing. And I think we should uh, put a big fat grin on our face because of that. And uh, our, uh, our attitude is all over our face. And um, I probably should have brought this a piece of this video. Uh, but Cameron and Colton have found a video on YouTube that is absolutely hysterical. And the Russian man slices up a piece of watermelon in just the right way so that you don't get it all over your face. And the way he says it is just hilarious. And uh, so at some point you'll have to check with Cameron and Colton and see if they can show you the Russian man that gets the watermelon all over his face or doesn't get it all over his face. But our attitudes are all over our face. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come here? What is the point of being here? Why do we come and spend time with other Christians in a place like this? Well, I hope it's because you want to serve God. You want to show the Lord and Savior of your life that he is important to you. But I also hope that it's to be here to encourage those sitting next to you. And believe it or not, there's several of you this morning that I don't know that that face is capable of putting on a smile. But I hope we can. I hope we can get to that point. And uh, this morning we're going to start a series entitled Life-Changing Attitudes. Life-Changing Attitudes. And I think that as we, uh, as we think about attitudes, there's attitudes have a lot to do with our response to things. There's oftentimes things that happen, events, situations that happen in a person's life. And we're going to call that step A. Step B is our interpretation of that event, how we feel about that event, how we look at it, how we view it, how we take it in. And then step C is how we respond to it, okay? So more than the actual event, the interpretation of the event dictates how we respond to it or how we take it on or how we, what we do about it, right? It's our interpretation, it has everything to do with our interpretation of the event. And it really has to do with our brains, our minds, how we perceive it, how we look at it, how we process it. Our responses come from those type of interpretations. When we try to live biblically, oftentimes we, uh, we come in contact with uh, something I want to call um, counterintuitive uh, it's not necessarily, we don't expect, let me just give you an example. If you were golfing, uh, if you were an avid golfer, and, or maybe you were not an avid golfer, maybe you were trying to become an avid golfer, and you wanted to hit the long ball, 
right? You wanted to hit, you wanted to be able to drive the ball. And you, you tee off and you swing the club. If you wanted to hit it farther, what would you do in order to hit it farther? Intuitively, you would say swing harder, right? But if anybody of you have been golfing, swinging the club harder does not necessarily make that ball go farther, right? It all has to do with how you swing the club. When you're looking for a spouse, one doesn't just look for one who can fulfill them. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, how's that song go? Don't make a pretty woman, but we want to make an ugly woman. Why? Well, it's because we want to serve that person. We want to be the, the, the server, the servant of that person. And that's a little bit, uh, a little bit strange, a little bit different, if, we, if you want to say it that way. In the Christian life, it's the same way. The path that makes the most sense at the time, sometimes we realize, is not the best path. Sometimes we realize that it's not necessarily that path that we should have chosen. I want us to open our Bibles today to Romans chapter 12. We're going to base this series in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It's not going to be, I don't think we have it, we didn't print that one out, we didn't put that one on the screen. And um, there's oftentimes when, when I do that on purpose, I didn't put it on the screen because I want you to be able to know that your Bible is yours and what's in your Bible is for you to read. If I put them all up on the screen, it may not necessarily, you may not open your Bible any other time of the week. So, open your Bible, open your app, whatever it is. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. This verse is very common. Maybe not because it's your favorite, but because it's mine. I talk about this passage of scripture often. We often come across this passage of Scripture because it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It would be wise of you to memorize this passage of Scripture. I memorized it when I was very young. And I think about it often. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. That's step one. Stop conforming to the world. Stop doing what the world wants you to do. What, the, what you think the world wants you to do. Stop doing that. Step two. Start aligning your life with God's will. How do we do that? Well, we change the way we think. Start aligning your life with God's will. And third, we experience God's will. When we start aligning ourselves with God's will rather than what the world thinks, somewhat counterintuitive, we begin to experience God's will in our lives. We experience what's good, we experience what's pleasing, and we experience what is what? What's the last word? Oh, come on. His perfect will. We experience His perfect will for our lives. When we start doing things God's way, we experience God's will in our lives. We experience His blessing. We experience not the consequences of sin, not the consequences of bad choices, but we experience God's will. And that's a beautiful thing. Before I can change the way I live, I have to change the way I think. 
I don't want you to think that you can just coast off the Christianness of others. You can't just coast off the Christianness of being in this place an hour a week. It is a constant putting on of Christ. It is a constant choosing God's will over ours. It's a counterintuitive thing. We don't always think that that's the right way. But the more we align ourselves with God's will, the better we'll be. The better off we'll be that we'll be able to experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're going to talk about some truth. And we're going to talk about some truth in regards to accountability. Oh, accountability. Unbelievable. That word's not even in the Bible. I can't believe this guy's preaching on accountability and the word's not even in the Bible. Guess what? It's not there. But you know what? Principle upon principle upon example upon example are there. Accountability is a part of Christian's life. It's a part of what we do. It's a part of who we are. We're going to look at some truths about accountability this morning. Before we do that, let's look to God in a word of prayer. God, I thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of who you are. Allowing us to be part of your team. Allowing us to be part of, uh, of your church. And we know, God, that someday we're going to get to be with you. We're going to be with you someday. And there's not going to be stress. There's not going to be work. There's not going to be uh, problems up there. We know that we're going to experience you. God, we know that in order to have a blessed life here, in order to experience you someday, we need to align ourselves not with what the world thinks we need to align ourselves with, but God, what you want us to align ourselves with. Help us to get that, help us to get that picture this morning. Pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the truth about human nature. Human nature uh, is legit, right? Paul wrote about it. Uh, who, who's Paul? Just some random guy, right? Some random guy that, you know, was killing Christians and, you know, and then he happened to write 13 epistles in the New Testament. Anybody write an epistle in the New Testament? Anybody? Oh, imagine that. I wonder why. Well, it's because, well, we weren't there. I'm sure if we would have been there, we would have been able to do that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. If you've got your Bible, follow, me, follow along with me. This one might be on the screen. <clears throat> Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 18. Look at what Paul says. It says, And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I, but if I do what I, I don't want to do, I'm not really the, the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. And when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Paul didn't struggle with temptation. Paul struggled with sin. Church, don't look at yourself in the mirror and think, well, I'm a complete loser. I'm a complete basket case because I struggle with sin. 
Paul struggled with sin. Jesus Christ is the only one that didn't struggle with sin here on this life. We all struggle with sin. We have to see our human nature as a traitor. It's a traitor within. We want to do what's right, but there's a traitor living within. James chapter 1 and verse 14, some temptation comes from whose desires? It doesn't say from Satan's desires. It says from our desires. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There's a traitor within. There's somebody deep inside of us that does not want us to do what is right. It's not the lure that catches the fish. It's the fish's appetite for that lure that allows it to be caught. If that fish is hungry, there's nothing you can throw at it. It's not the lure that catches the fish. It's the fish's appetite. It's our own desire for those sinful things. It's our own desire for those evil things that make them enticing to us. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 it says, If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, No one can say, I am innocent. I have never done anything wrong. Really? No, we can't. Because we have a traitor within. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says. It is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And sometimes I, I feel sorry for Jesus Christ. He walked this earth like a human. But to his disadvantage, he was able to read people's minds. Tell me you wouldn't have a hard time with your attitude if you could read someone's mind. That's amazing. We just see on the surface. We just see at the outsides of people, right? We don't see what's in here. He had to see what was in there, and he still went to the cross yeah. for us. Yeah. Wow. We have a traitor within. The truth about it, the truth of the matter is, is we have a traitor within, and he's capable, they're capable, she's capable of coming out. We've got to realize it. We've got to deal with it. Secondly, anonymity breeds sin. How come we live better when mom's watching? Why is it that we live a better life when mom is watching? How many of you see the boys in the bar with their mother? How many of you sit at the stock car races in front of complete and total knuckleheads sitting behind you who are cussing up a storm and F-bomb this and, and talking dirty about the women they throw in their lives and just... Do you turn around and see little old mom sitting next to him? 
No, she's not there. Why? Because mom's not there. We can just do whatever we want. Within about a half a mile of just about every major airport in the United States is some sort of dance club, some sort of uh, burlesque operation, some sort of strip joint, some sort of, of pornographic uh, material availability. Why is that? Oh, because when men go on trips and they're out of the country or they're out of the state or they're out of their hometown, it's very easy to fall right in to that anonymity. When mom's not watching, do just about anything we want. Anonymity breeds sin. The temptation will always be greater when you think no one is watching. Temptation's always going to be greater when you think no one is watching. Well, God's always watching. Right, but he's not always sitting next to you, or you don't always think about him sitting next to you because you can't tangibly see him sitting next to you. And anybody breathes sin. Ephesians chapter 5, look at this one with me. Verse 8 says, In the past you were full of darkness, but now you are full of light in the Lord. So live like children of light who belong to the light. Light brings every kind of goodness, right living, and truth. What's it like to be a preacher in this community? Constantly running into some of you. Everywhere I go, I I see somebody. You know, almost every week I see somebody somewhere. What's it like? What's good? I like it. You know why? Because it keeps me on my toes. I know that everybody here is keeping an eye on me. We should provide that for each and every one of us. Each and every person in here should be accountable and not anonymous. It's a beautiful thing. John chapter 3 and verse 19 says, they are judged by this fact. The light has come into the world, but they did not want light. They wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. Anonymity breeds sin. When I'm ashamed of who I am and what I'm doing, I want to turn off the lights. Figuratively, and literally. Think about it. Seriously. Very little good happens after the sun goes down. Even less good happens after about 10 o'clock at night. I never thought I would say this. I must be getting old, right? Good things don't happen in the dark. If you make it to midnight, there's most likely bad things going to happen. I was listening to some coverage, the theater shooting trial that happened in, in, down in Denver, and I realized something. They said that it was a, a midnight showing of a movie. Really? You're going to go to a movie at midnight? I mean, for my 41-year-old brain, that's just... That's just dumb. That's just stupid. That's just dumb. 
These people were looking for trouble. And I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying it was their fault for being out. But seriously, if they, if they would have been where they should have been, they wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened to them. They, they should have been in bed. I mean, come on. Any logical, normal individual is in bed at midnight. It would have happened to someone else because there's always going to be people that want to stay out too late and want to be in that uh, within that an- an- anonymity. They, they want to go down that road. They want to be in the dark. Anonymity breeds sin. I feel like Nemo up here. Anonymity. And number three, when the truth hurts most of us, prefer a lie. When the truth hurts, most of us prefer a lie. Let's look at the image uh, look at an image for, for just a second. When someone is coming over, we always clean up the mess. Justin, Cindy, if I told you that um, my family was going to join you for lunch today, and we're going to shut down here in a little bit, and, and of course I have to stick around and make sure everybody's good and make sure everybody's got everything put away and you know, all that kind of stuff. So you'll have a few minutes. What would happen at your house, and what would happen after we dismiss today, what would take place? We would go home and clean, wouldn't we? We'd go home and clean. And, and in our family, we have this, we have this 10-minute, it's a, it's a quick clean, right? We know where the closets are. We know where the under the rug is. We know how to get the house looking presentable within 10 minutes, right? Because there are moments when we like, okay, we've, we've got to get this place clean now. There's people on their way to our house. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because image is extremely important to us. Why? What's the point? They know who we are. Image is important, right? We think it's important to look better than we are. I don't know why that is. It's just the way it is. Truth hurts. You might as well just, you know, lie about it. Don't look at Justin and Cindy funny. Don't look at me funny. We all do the same thing. We want to look better than we are. Proverbs 13 and verse 7 says, Some who are poor pretend to be rich. Others who are rich pretend to be poor. Why do people get so upset when they get caught? Why does someone get upset when they get caught? Why do you think? Because their reputation has just gone down the tubes, right? They, before they got caught, they were this person. And now that they're caught, they're someone completely different. You've heard the politicians and the, the you know, maybe it's this, this, the famous sports people. Maybe it's in somebody in, in, in media or, or maybe it's a, a movie star of some kind who gets caught doing something they're not supposed to do. What are the first words out of their mouths? If I have offended 
so-and-so. And then they go on to somewhat so-called apologize. What's wrong with that? <clears throat> the first word is the problem. If. That's the problem. We'll talk, at that, talk about that more in just, in just a little bit. When the truth hurts, most of us prefer a lie. There's the truth. There's the truth about accountability. We have a serious traitor that lives within us. We've, we've got to deal with him. We've got to understand that anonymity breeds sin. And thirdly, when the truth hurts, most of us prefer a lie. So we need to choose truth. Three traits of an accountable life, and we'll wrap this up. Three traits, real quick. When I choose to live a biblically accountable life, I'm choosing truth over image and self-deception. When I choose to live a biblically accountable life, I'm choosing truth over image and self-deception. Number one, we need to take responsibility. Take responsibility. From the little kid that got caught with his hand in the cookie jar to the politician who gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar, we need to take responsibility for what we've done. Taking responsibility is pretty rare. Like I was mentioning, they, the, the politicians and the, the famous and the, those who are you know, in the limelight, they have a tendency to make silly statements like, if I have offended you, or if, it's just, it's just crazy. I'm not a hothead, easily angered, difficult to live with, overbearing, and otherwise just an awful person. Actually, I am. And when I can say, you know what? It's my fault. I did it. I have no excuse. I did it. I am sorry. I've sinned. It's easier to pretend. It's easier to say it's not my fault. It's easier to say it was, it was my parents' fault. It was, it was genetics that made me do it. That's, that's why I'm the way I am. It's because of genetics. And if it's not one of those two things, it's the environment. It's the environment that I was put in. That's why. That's why I'm the way I am. It's my addiction. That's the problem. That lure was really strong. <laughs> no. It has nothing to do with the lure. It has everything to do with your appetite. Think about the last time <clears throat> that you saw that person in the limelight. What did they say? Did they admit it? Did they come forward and say, yeah, it was, it was my fault? Maybe it's not even that they're in the limelight. Maybe it's just in your home. When was the last time somebody apologized? Just straight up apologized for something that they did wrong. I think it needs to be more common. We need to take responsibility. James chapter 1 and verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires which drag us away. It's our fault that we fail. It's our fault that we fall down. It's our fault that we sin. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. 
but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confess your sin. Be open about it. (coughs) Admit your faults. That's where we need to be. Take responsibility. If we're going to live an accountable life, we need to choose truth. And that truth sometimes hurts, but it's taking responsibility. Secondly, we need to accept correction. We tend to turn down our hearing aid when someone starts to correct us. Classroom full of somewhat deaf children. The teacher starts to say something that they don't want to hear. It's time to clean up the toys, kids. Guess what every single one of those hearing impaired individuals does? (laughs) Turn down their hearing aid. I think we do it all the time in our own lives. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Anyone who loves learning accepts correction. But a person who hates being corrected is stupid. I didn't say it. I said it, but I only read it out of the scripture. Don't write me a letter later and an email later and say, you shouldn't use those words in the, in, in, in the church and call people stupid. It wasn't me. Read it. Proverbs 12.1 says, a person who hates being corrected is stupid. We don't want to be corrected. We live in a mind my own business, mind your own business kind of a world. They call it a right to privacy. Really? A born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, Christ-centered individual has no right to privacy. Why would one want a right to privacy? Why would they claim a right to privacy? Why? Because they don't want anyone to know what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. That's why you want a right to privacy. And I know There's legal sides of the right to privacy. I understand that. The whole concept, though, if we apply it to Christian lives, the right to privacy needs to be eliminated. Nobody hides what they're proud of. How many little kids hide what they're proud of? They get a new shirt, what do they do? Everybody knows about it, right? Same thing with us adults sometimes. If we're proud of something, we're going to share it. If we've done something for someone else that was nice, oftentimes we want to share that. Why? Because we're proud of it. The one who hides behind the right to privacy is what the Bible says, stupid. You're not an island. You don't exist all by yourself. You're not an individual who can just function all by yourself. You're part of a body, the body of Christ. And we function that way. That's the way we're designed. You're not an island. You heard this one, well, it's just kind of between me and God. And and I've prayed about it and and I'm at peace with it. I'm good with it. It's, It's just between me and God. I'm at peace with it. I don't think so. I don't think that's okay. We need to consider others before we consider ourselves. We need to think about what's going on. We need to accept that correction. 
Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, some people think they're doing right, but in the end, it leads to death. 16.25 says, there's a way that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Accept correction. If we're going to accept accountability, if we're going to take on accountability, we need to accept the truth by accepting correction. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul also wrote this. He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. People say, well, it's, my, it's, I'm fine with it. I'm cool with it. My conscience is clear. I don't have any problems with this. It's okay. I'm all right. Hold on a second. Paul says that's not it. Doesn't make us innocent just because our conscience is clear. Your conscience is is not a thermometer. Your conscience is a thermostat. We set our conscience. It doesn't just, our conscience doesn't say whether it's right or wrong. We set it and then determine right and wrong. What's the difference? Well, we set our conscience. Your convictions on certain issues have changed over the years, haven't they? Once in a while, one, one point in your life, your conviction about one thing was one, one direction, and now it may be completely something different. Why? Because your conscience has changed. Accountable people don't hide behind. Well, this is between me and God. They actually accept correction. David accepted correction and lived. Remember when the prophet Nathan came to his house, came to the place where he was and says, you know what? There's a problem here. What did David do? 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. We need to accept correction. Isaiah, on the other hand, did not accept correction. 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16, down through about verse 23, he was approached he had done something that he wasn't supposed to do. And he was approached, and guess what he did? Verse 19 says, Isaiah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. Why was he furious? We talked about it a few minutes ago. When people get caught, why do they get upset? Because he was the king. He was the one that's supposed to be in charge. Don't correct me, I'm the king. So what did he do? He got mad. What happened to him? Instantly, he got leprosy and fell apart. His son took over, became king. No pun intended, fell apart. Leprosy actually does kind of make you fall apart. Proverbs 19, verse 27 says, Don't stop listening to correction, my child, or you will forget what you have already learned. We need to accept correction. Take responsibility, accept correction, and thirdly, we need to live transparently. Now, you've never heard that out of my mouth before. The word transparent in the Webster's Dictionary means to allow light to pass through so that objects behind can be distinctly seen. Transparent. If we're going to live a transparent life, Allow light to pass through so that objects behind can be distinctly 
seen. Jesus Christ was the best at this. He was transparent in everything he did to the point that we can now clearly see God through the life he lived. Call it glass house living. Call it whatever you want. It's not going up to people and being a spiritual exhibitionist. It's not just, you know, barfing spiritualism on everybody. That's not what glass house living is. That's not what being transparent is. Living transparently means that I live with as few secrets as possible and as little privacy as I can. I'm not going to share my bank account and my passwords of Facebook with you or any of anything else. It's just not. But I do have people that I share that with. There are people in my life that I have asked specifically to watch these things. And they have my passwords so that they can look that stuff up anytime and every, every time they think of it. If I want to live a transparent life, I want to live as, with few secrets as possible and as little privacy as I can. There are people in this life that I'm very forward about this stuff with. I share my finances, my passwords, so that they can hold me accountable. Quote of the day, write it down. Ready? Here it comes. It's quote of the day. Live in the light and you will have a good life. Live in the light and you will have a good life. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We need to live transparently. We need to confess our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. What does that mean? Some translations say spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's living a transparent life. That's holding each other accountable. That's what that's about. Goes on to say you should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing. But you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day coming. Stick together. Be here when the doors are open. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We need that accountability. Jeremiah 23 says, No one can hide where I cannot see him, says the Lord. I fill all of heaven and earth, says the Lord. Can't hide from God. One last verse before we close out today. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Look at this for a minute. It says, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. At its core, hypocrisy is the absolute opposite of transparency. Because hypocrisy says, I am this person, and then you do something else. Transparency says, I am this person, and this is how I am. It's okay to have fault. It's okay to have sin. We understand that Paul had dealt with it. He, he dealt with sin. He, he was a sinner just like the rest of us. It's okay to have sin. It's just not okay to hide it. 
The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Is Jesus threatening us? It almost sounds like he's threatening us. It almost sounds like, no, that's not the way it is. This is just the truth. This is just the way it is. The time is coming when everything that's covered up will be revealed. Are you living a transparent life? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We reach God through him, his truth, his transparency. There are people all around us who are trying to see God through us. They want to know more about who God is. And we are the only ones that are going to be able to get that accomplished. But not if we're closed off and not if we're not living a transparent life. They have to be able to see through us to who God is. They can't just look at us and, and us pretend to be whoever we are. They need to see right through us. We've got to live a transparent life in order for others to see God. Finding God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will requires accountability. We're going to look at several other ideas and thoughts and concepts and uh, imperatives that we really need to focus on in the next few weeks. Attitudes that will change lives. Life-changing attitudes is what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Transparency is a big one. Accountability is a big one. We've got to have this transparency and accountability in our lives. God's message, your move. What are you going to do about it? How can you be more transparent? How can you be more accountable to those around you. Next week, we're going to answer the question, can you feel it when they hurt? The question is going to be answered, can you feel it when they hurt? Don't miss it. We'll have a good time talking about it and a good time answering that question next week. We're talking about life-changing attitudes. That's what we're talking about. Thank you for your attention this morning. I hope there's been some things that we've been able to share with you that have bless your life, hopefully change you from the inside out. We need to be changed from the inside out. We need to get rid of the junk that's inside and put it on the outside so, so that it can be dealt with, so that God can take it and God can remove it. Christ's blood can cover it. Hopefully we can find some of those things. We have announcements this evening, uh, this afternoon, starting at 4 o'clock. We have a ladies' class at 4. Uh, at 5 o'clock, we have a study hall and also a directed Bible study. Uh, 6 o'clock is a couples class and also a newlywed couples class. And then at 7 o'clock this evening, I'll do some sort of exercise as well. And um, so there, that's what's going on this afternoon or rather later on this afternoon. Uh, other announcements, the Valley 5000 is coming up. They uh, run walk uh, to support the h &S building October 28th. Keep that in your schedule. It's going to start at 6 o'clock on a Friday night. And um, if you want a t-shirt, I think the sign-up list is still back there on the board. If it's getting full, we can flip it over and, 
and write your names and sizes on the back of it if you want a, a Birthline t-shirt uh, to wear for that event. All right. What else do I need to announce before we dismiss and let the kids go to class? What am I missing? All right. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, we'll dismiss. We'll break up into small groups. The discussion guides are right here. So grab the discussion guides and break up into groups, maybe four or five, uh, six at the most. And do your best to get with people that maybe you haven't been with before. Maybe you're comfortable in the group that you're in because those people don't hold you accountable. Find a group that's going to hold you accountable. Find a group that's going to allow you to be transparent with them. Okay? Let's work on that. Let's do that this morning. And uh, we'll let the kids go to class as well. Kiddos, you all know where you're going? Yeah? Anybody not know where they're going? All right. We switched it up last week, so hopefully you remember where you're going this week. All right. So let's look to God in a word of prayer, and we'll dismiss. Let's be standing as we pray and as we uh, lift, lift up our hearts to God, and, uh, and then we'll dismiss and go into our small groups, and uh, also go, the kids can go to class. Dear God and Heavenly, thank you so much for being our God and allowing us to to lift our burdens off of us, to let, our, let our, our guard down in front of you. God, help us to do this more often. Help us to be more accountable to those around us, to be more transparent. God, help us to accept correction. Help us to take responsibility. God, help us to realize that there's real, a real problem inside of each of us. There's a traitor that lives within that wants to destroy us that wants to make us sin, and wants to make us full of sin. God, help us not to let that traitor within be hidden. God, help us to let him out so that we can deal with it, so that your blood can cover it. God, thank you for sharing your son with us, for sending him to the cross to die for our sins so that we can be covered, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can look forward to heaven someday. God, help it, help these truths to bless our lives to the point that we can have joy, that we can have happiness, that we can wear a smile on our face. God, please bless each and every individual here to have the attitude that, you know what, they are redeemed, that they are saved, and that they do have a heavenly home to look forward to. God, help us to have, take great joy and great, great happiness and see uh, great things come from that. God, bless our attitudes today. Please bless the rest of our day. Help us as we go into discussion groups, and please bless the kids as they go to class. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you leave your house during.